get started. Um, I did just want to mention that this coming weekend is the women's retreat. So I would really love your prayers for those who, if you're going or not, um, just pray that it is just a really sweet, encouraging time. Um, and that we just are really filled with the hope that we have in Christ. So that would be my prayer for that. And then Tracy's going to go ahead and pray for Maureen. Good morning. I was looking around. I was like, where is Maureen? <laughs> I'm not doing this. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this chance that we get to just still our souls and look to you, look at your word. And um, I pray that your spirit would be at work in us, that you would teach us, that you would draw us deeper with you. We pray for Maureen that you would speak through her and that your Holy Spirit would um, just help her um, to have the words. And we thank you so much for the ways that you have answered prayers already with that and um, pulled this together. And um, I just thank you for it and just pray that you would bless it, bless our discussion in the groups, that you would be glorified, that we would be drawn deeper with you. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. So, I know. <laughs> so let me know if there are scarf issues. <laughs> How, is that okay? Can you hear? In the back? Sure. Better? Hello, better? Maybe I'll put on my collar. How's that? Better, better? Muffled. Okay. So, last check. In the back, everybody can hear? Okay, good. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you today. And um, we are in 1 Samuel 28. As you recall last week, Jane presented chapter 27, and it was quite a challenging one. This week, I have to say, it's not the most uplifting chapter. (laughs) It seems to be the culmination of all we've read so far concerning Saul's actions against the Lord and David. And we are left hanging at the end of 27 and the first two verses into 28, where David is with the Philistines and Achish has named him his bodyguard, a precarious situation to say the least. We begin chapter 28 and verse three with the information or reminder of Samuel's death and the fact that Saul forced out all mediums and fortune tellers from the land. It will be evident why this was stated as we progress in the chapter. The biblical writer turns our attention from David to Saul in chapter 28, and commentator Dale Ralph Davis states the reason is the biblical writer wants to place David's dilemma and Saul's dilemma side by side to show there is something far worse than being caught among the Philistines, and that is being cut off 
from all communion with God. Throughout this chapter, we will see the depth to which Saul's desperation took him. We will see the fallout of his failing to seek counsel, listen to wisdom, going his way instead of God's way until he had nowhere to go but down. We will witness the utter destruction and sadness of one's life when God is no longer available because disobedience was chosen instead of following the Lord. I'd like to bring your attention to a word you will hear many times as we look at 1 Samuel 28. That is desperation. Maybe you've been in a place of complete desperation. That feeling of despair, not knowing what to do, where to turn. Having that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach, knowing that something will occur very soon that is not good. I'd like to share a story of desperation that occurred some years ago. Some of you are familiar with this, so bear with me. But it came to mind as I was thinking about desperation. My sister was visiting from Boston for my mother's birthday. She had been battling a prolonged illness and now looked very weak and weary from all of it. I was struck by her appearance and upset, realizing what was happening to her. I wasn't sure where she was with the Lord. It wasn't something she was willing to talk about with me as our relationship went through some difficult times because of differences in faith. I attempted conversations with her throughout her illness, but her MO was fear and denial. My husband and I prayed for her often, and she had the prayers of many of my friends, but she remained closed and private until... A few months prior to this visit, for the first time during a phone conversation, she spoke with me about God. She asked him what he wanted her to learn through her illness, and she told me she never asked the question, why me? I was clinging to this as a glimmer of hope. Still feeling despair over her, I was crying in the late hours the next night after seeing her and found myself weeping deeply. You know the kind where you can't catch your breath and feel out of control? I was stating over and over through my tears, Lord, be merciful to her. Lord, have mercy on her. I was desperate for some answer. Well, I want to tell you all that what happened next took me by surprise. Instead of needing to recover, I stopped suddenly in the middle of heavy crying. I was calm, breathing normally, and literally like that, no more tears. And it was not of my own doing. I knew something supernatural had happened. There was a sense God was with me, reassuring me in the quiet of the night. I later learned a dear friend couldn't sleep that very night and felt the Lord's nudge to pray for me. In the midst of my desperation for my sister, God saw and God heard. The prayers of many mean a lot. When we open our Bibles, we see stories of salvation born out of utter desperation. There are many in scripture to illustrate this. For example, the Israelites often found themselves in a state of desperation while in the desert. And there was Rahab, desperate to save her family and willing to hide spies. And of course, David, 
we've heard, finding himself desperate quite a few times. But in scripture, the stories of desperation are not to show the cleverness, wit, and strength of the human character, but to show the power, glory, and abundant grace of God. Yet, in the case of Saul, sadly, we see something different. He seemed to always rely on his cleverness and strength to the exclusion of listening to God. And this led him to the desperate state we find him. Haven't we seen the steady fall of Saul through his pride, jealousy, bitterness, anger, and hatred to the point of murder? And now we see the end of his reign, and he is in his darkest days and terrified. Saul is desperate because of the Philistines. They are on the horizon and advancing quickly. The Philistines were camped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel at Gilboa. And maps show these locations are not very far apart. Verses 5 and 6 say, when he saw the army of the Philistines, Saul was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him through dreams, Urim, or prophets. He had forfeited all the ways God had, might have answered in the past. Saul is desperate and isolated, without direction from prophet, priest, or more importantly, from God. God is silent, but this is a problem Saul created. The Urim was used for guidance and kept in the ephod breastplate of the high priest. But Saul killed all the priests. We saw that in 22. Now the ephod is with David because the one priest who escaped took it to him. And God does not answer by prophets because Saul rejected the words of the prophet Samuel. So Samuel rejected Saul. And we saw that in 15. And God rejected him as king. Chapter 16. Saul faces the crisis of his life and God has nothing to say to him. How appropriate is Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not, do, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Saul was reaping the consequences of his disobedience. Much has been said about Saul's lack of seeking God. In his half-hearted attempt in verse 6, commentators observe he was not inquiring of God in faith, but of a double, unstable mind, the type of which James 1.8 states, that person, therefore, should not expect anything from the Lord. Saul wasn't humbly seeking the Lord in repentance or renewal of relationship but for quick direction and help with the battle at hand. Too little, too late. And it makes me think of, of Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Scripture has many admonitions to seek the Lord. How is your walk with the Lord? How is my walk? Is there a tendency for our seeking to weaken as our walk with the Lord goes on in time? Does the zeal and zest diminish and end in complacency? 
oh, how it should be just the opposite. As we know our Savior longer and deeper, how rich that time spent seeking can be, and how blessed we are to commune with the Lord of the heavens. Listen to David's words in 1 Chronicles 28.9. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But you forsake him he will reject you forever. Notice the actions necessary on our part. Acknowledge, serve, and seek. Saul wasn't necessarily excelling in any of those areas. Are we? Do we acknowledge the Lord's work in us? Do we speak of his grace and mercy we've experienced? And are we serving with right motivations? And are we seeking the Lord daily in our lives? The results will be a dependence that leads to trust, that leads to peace. So resuming in verse 7, after feeling desperate and isolated, Saul told his servants to find a woman who is a medium. The very ones he expelled from the land, which was a time Saul actually did something in obedience to the law. But now how far he has fallen, seeking that which he knew was forbidden and with dire consequences from the Lord. Listen to the warning in Leviticus 20, verse six. I will be against anyone who goes to mediums and fortune tellers for advice because that person is being unfaithful to me. So I will cut him off from his people. There are many times in scripture, God makes it clear how despicable he considers the occult world. It is because wisdom or knowledge is sought from evil sources and not from him. Let's take a side look at the subject of mediums, spiritualists, fortune tellers, and psychics. Ironically, since working on this chapter, I've noticed advertisements primarily for psychics. For some reason, I didn't think they were around anymore. (laughs) But as they were, there were remnants in Saul's days, there are remnants in our day. And people are still looking for answers in the wrong places. I remember when um, I was a teenager at the shore and we were with, I was with friends and on the boardwalk and seeing fortune tellers with a typical headdress, maybe even a crystal ball. Uh, they were card readers, palm readers, all willing to take your money, to be told your future. These practices are based on the concept that there are gods, spirits, or deceased loved ones that can give advice and guidance. Mediums and spiritualists can be frauds or con artists who pretend to communicate with the dead so they can prey on vulnerable people. One commentator stated that to say they are fakes is half true, Because there is a spiritual world alongside the world we see. And sometimes people do connect with another world. But they are not in contact with departed loved ones, but with evil spirits. 
That is why God's law prohibited such practices. Leviticus 19.31 says, Do not turn to mediums or spiritualists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. The Bible gives us no reason to believe that deceased loved ones can contact us. And this is why Saul had mediums expelled from the land. He knew the warnings from the Lord. Yet he asked, where can I find a medium? Remember the admonition from Samuel in chapter 15? Disobedience is as bad as sorcery. Or another version, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Saul was blinded by sin and desperation. So let's go back to Saul and the Philistines. The presence of the Philistines was nothing new as we saw through previous chapters, but this time is different. The Philistines were more numerous and better armed, and no wonder Saul was terrified. They were also better positioned for attack. They had been in the hilly area, but now they moved down to the plains where Saul would have a better view of their vast army. Endor, the medium's location, was on the other side of the Philistines' camp. So to get there, Saul had to go through or around enemy territory. Saul was so desperate that he traveled at night and in disguise, knowing all occult activity was viewed as detestable and completely unacceptable practice for any member of God's covenant community. He could not take the chance to be recognized as the king seeking such things. Here we see a former leader, king, even a warrior whom the Lord previously gave victory over the Philistines, who is now disguised, deserted, and desperate. There are three reasons Saul felt desperate. One, because of the presence of the Philistines. Two, because of the absence of Samuel. And three, because of the silence of God. How frantic he must have been. The two armies stare at each other across the valley. When Saul, when he saw the army of the Philistines, Saul was afraid, and his heart trembled with such fear that he could no longer reason. Saul chooses to find his answers from a dark source. He would act contrary to God's and his own law to get an answer to a question his heart already knew the answer to. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So next, we witness the interaction between Saul and the medium. He says to her, Consult a spirit for me and bring up the one I name. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He has forced the mediums and the fortune tellers from the land. You are trying to trap me and get me killed. Notice in verse nine, the medium at this point does not know who this man is asking to bring up a spirit. And she is the one pointing out the violation and being asked and fearing for her life. Imagine Saul's anxiety at this point after traveling through enemy territory at night, disguised, and with only two of his men, 
trying not to attract attention. He reaches the medium and probably breathless, tense and nervous, wanting to get on with the seance, he quickly assures the woman will not be punished or killed. As if he's saying, don't worry about it. I've got it covered. The Lord will protect you. Saul's response in verse 10 is arrogant and shameless, making a promise in the name of the Lord and guaranteeing this woman would not be punished. Yet he is the one cut off from the Lord. Robert Bergen calls the oath of protection to this woman not only foolish, but blasphemous. The medium acquiesces in verses 11 and 12 and asks Saul, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The medium was shocked. Here was an actual person being called up from the dead to her utter amazement and terror. Don't let the irony pass by here. This was her profession. And she was terrified. She had likely never done this before and cried out with a loud voice. She was terrified when she realized it was Saul who made the request. Commentator Mary Evans questions a few items in this passage. She states, the whole account is probably intentional, shrouded in mystery. Was the woman a fraud or did she genuinely have some kind of clairvoyant skill? Was this really the dead Saul coming back to life or was it the appearance of an evil spirit or some kind of trick? Was the woman's recognition of Saul based on her own insight or did his disguise drop for a few seconds? Did Saul really hear from Samuel or just deceive himself into hearing all the things he knew and feared? Evans goes on to say, two things, however, are clear. First, whatever happens seems to have been unexpected and disturbing, not only to Saul, but also to the woman. Secondly, Saul genuinely believed he was actually talking to Samuel. The Bible does not give details or explanations, but one author puts it this way. It seems far more likely to me that the Lord sent Samuel to Saul on this evening. In other words, a sovereign God, even in the midst of darkness and chaos, will still accomplish his purposes. This is a comforting thought for believers as we experience darkness and chaos in our lives and in the world. God can and will use anyone or anything to bring about his will. Haven't we seen this previously in scripture when the most unlikely people or circumstances, according to us, are used by God to accomplish his purposes? Sisters, this can give us hope. When things seem bleak or out of control, God can use anything and anyone he desires. Let that thought increase your faith and dependence on your heavenly father. As we follow what occurs next in verses 13 and following, I can't help but wonder, was Saul's reply in verse 13 a little testy, maybe a little impatient? After the medium says, you tricked me, 
and tells Saul she fears for her life, he just says, don't be afraid, but tell me, what do you see? Can you imagine the tone of desperation? Just tell me. She goes on to describe what she saw. Some versions say a divine being or gods or spirit, which signifies to commentators the fact that this heathen woman is seeing something very different. When she describes the appearance of a man in a robe, Saul was very familiar with those items of a prophet and immediately knows it is Samuel, especially since it was the garment Samuel was wearing when Saul grabbed and tore its hem, which we saw in chapter 15. He falls face down on the ground. Saul's answer to Samuel's question regarding why he was disturbed from his rest shows his desperation again. And in verse 15, he says, I am in great distress. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. I always think Samuel could have said so many different things at this point. But don't we see his blame shifting again? Samuel does not change his message to Saul. He reiterates the Lord's words in verses 16 to 19. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And then he adds a mortal punishment. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Tim Chester notes the chilling moment in the story of Saul and the medium is not so much the moment Samuel appears as when he says to Saul, the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy. A Philistine enemy filled Saul with fear, but that is nothing compared to with having God as your enemy. In verse 20, Saul immediately fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. The hopelessness Saul heard was no different than what he heard previously which was years before, yet even then he did not seek the mercy of God. And nowhere do we see Saul seeking counsel from Samuel while he was alive. Too little, too late. This section presents what another writer considered perhaps the darkest moment in Saul's life, his deliberate violation of one of the most serious prohibitions in God's word. A reminder God is a just God who will punish any who violate his divine word without repentance. As Jane said last week, God loves sinners who repent and God's grace is found by them. So we see Saul's wandering into the forbidden world of mystics and magic brought him no satisfaction, only despair. He knows not only his life will be taken, but those of his sons as well. In the end, the story of Saul and the medium at Endor teaches us how dangerous it is to forsake God. It is a path of fear, despair, and death. Though terrified even to despair, 
Saul was not humbled. Whether or not the appearance of Samuel was actually him or not, God gave Saul a truthful answer, and he leaves the medium's house a broken man. After the medium convinced Saul and his servants to eat, the ominous last verse reads, they rose and went away that night. It's been noted the similarity of Saul and Judas. Both had their last meal before walking into the night, into the darkness. This is all very sobering. As I did say in the beginning, this wasn't an uplifting chapter. But, sisters, the word of God does give hope. Friends, when God disciplines us or sends us warnings, whether in his word or through others, he is offering us a door of hope if we repent. Otherwise, there is darkness, as Saul found. Scripture always holds out hope for us. Davis points out, and I quote, the glory of the gospel is that God's son went through the darkness of God's absence for us. Jesus entered the outer darkness at the cross in order that you and I might walk in the light of life. We have a dire warning to acknowledge the Lord today, to seek him while he may be found. Pride, fear, and insecurity can lead us to live life independent of God. It may be gradual, unnoticeable at first, but eventually our walk with the Lord can become non-existent and our walk with worldly ideals take over. Do we seek answers from other sources, other people, or use our own judgment and call it God's will? We may not seek out mediums or spiritualists, but do we stop seeking God altogether when we feel he is silent? Seeking the Lord needs to be a daily habit that hopefully becomes a daily desire. One of the points of the story is to show what desperate people will do when they are cut off from God in fear for their lives and without hope, that all-important factor that without it leads to despair. I'd like to go back for a moment to the story about my sister. A month after that visit, we got word from her husband that she was declining fast and we should come see her. This was two days before I was scheduled to speak at our women's brunch. My mind was swirling and I was feeling desperate. I couldn't cancel two days away from the event, which was for our women in the church and an outreach to the community. There was no question I needed to go to Boston. God took care of the details, and my good friend, Pam Baird, was a pinch hitter for me, reading and prepping what I had written. It was a somber trip as my mother, my other sister, and I flew to what we knew was a final visit with my dying sister. She wasn't conscious for our time with her, but working with hospice, I believe, and no, people can hear near the end. So I prayed with her. She died the morning of the brunch, and I found out that in her hour of death, that group of women were praying for my sister. Hearing this, I thought of the verses from Psalm 91, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands, they shall bear you up, 
The vision of all those women praying was such a comfort to me in the midst of fear and desperation. The Lord in his graciousness brought to mind two verses that I would not normally know to connect, but they were from a study with a friend. Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2. I call to you. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you, Lord. May my prayers be set before you like incense. And Revelations 5, 8 says this. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp. And this is the part that got me and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. What an image. God knows and God hears. Those dear women's prayers were as incense to the Lamb of God for my sister and offering comfort and hope to me. And my prayer is that in, her, in that month, there was a change, and I feel the Lord met her in her spirit, That's the hope I have. Sisters, when you feel helpless and hopeful, it isn't from the Lord. You may feel he is distant at times or not answering. But if you are still communicating with God in prayer, in your cries and despair, then you are believing he is still there for you. As we heard from Cheryl a couple of weeks ago, the timeline for suffering is known only to the Lord. We can wait on him with hope and confidence, knowing he is in control. That is why many who feel lost go to the Psalms. The words resonate as the psalmist cries out with doubt, with questions, at times in fear. But those cries are to the one who holds you, holds us in the palm of his hand. I'd like to close with Psalm 34.4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, for who you are and how we see you in Scripture. Thank you, Father, for your character that comes through, whether it's compassion, mercy, justice, Lord, you are who you are, and we need to come to you in our despair, in our fears, because you are a holy God. You are our Heavenly Father, and you know and you hear the cries of your children. Lord, I thank you that the words that we read in Scripture are true today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And that you are a father who loves us unconditionally with um, repentance coming from our hearts. We know, Father, that we need to seek you while you may be found. Thank you, Lord, for the women here today. And thank you for the way that you minister to each one. Father, I pray that as we go to our groups your words and um, the words of each other ministering to each other would would lift them up, carry them through the week. And Lord, I pray that um, your blessings would be many for these women. Thank you, dear Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.